And one of the things that I've realized is we spend a lot of time on things that are urgent, but not on things that are not urgent yet still important. Welcome to Every Knee Shall Bow, your weekly Catholic podcast on evangelization. My name is Mike Gomer-Gormley, and I am not joined by Dave the Schmarmy. Oh, gosh. I have no idea. I have completely run out of nicknames slash middle names for Dave Van Vickle. So if you have some, please just send them my way. Just EKSB at ascensionpress.com. You don't literally you have to put nothing else in the email. Just a subject line. Give me some more really funny, uh, funny middle names for the old Dave the Swarthy. What is the deal with this? I can't I can't come up with anything. Anywho, today what I wanted to do, because it's just me, and when Dave is away, the mice will play, because Dave in the scenario is a cat, Dave the cat van Bickle. What I want to do is I want to address a couple of issues that have come up down through the pike, email-wise, in conversations-wise, other things like that. And this is one of those notions that I think is so important for our work as an evangelist that doesn't directly bear on strategies and tactics of evangelization. Instead, what it bears upon is our knowledge, our comprehensive knowledge of the Catholic faith. Now, you know that I love to nerd out about faith topics. Dave actually, this is this is funny, Dave is far smarter than I am, but he does a much better job hiding it. And I am far dumber than him, but I do a much better job showing and showcasing and wearing on my sleeve any ounce of faux scholarship that has come my way. So uh, one of the things that I've realized with Dave, he pauses during the day for like two hours and has a screenless, electronicless time period where he just reads like the church fathers, a saint, a theologian, whatever. And that's incredible. And so I've been trying to incorporate that a little bit in my own days, although I feel like I can never truly get to that. So what have I been doing lately to try to catch up to Dave's awesomeness is I took the last two days off to have a retreat for myself. Now, I didn't go on retreat. I just want a day of silence, a day of prayer. Um, And it's been difficult to come by, to say the least, with all the shenanigans going on at home and at work and all these difficulties, you know, the thousand little fires and the handful of mega bonfires that just draw your attention away from where you should be. But one of the things I've noticed these past three weeks, when I come in on a Monday, I've taken Mondays off because I did like a weekend retreat or I was going to do something with my family. And I actually had the day off, but I came in just to do some quick stuff. And the funny thing is, once I relinquished some of those demands on my schedule, I had no need to check email. I had n- No one was looking for me for a meeting because they thought I was off. So I just went into my office, shut the door. I didn't even turn the light on. I had my desk lamp on, but not my big overhead light. And people ignored me for about four hours. And the cool thing was I was able to have the freedom and the kind of like the permission to think through things that I otherwise haven't been able to do. And this is one of those things that I think get overlooked in parish life. You know, you got the you got a big box and you divide it into four and you got urgent and important. And some things are urgent, some things are not urgent, some things are important, some things are not important. And one of the things that I've realized is we spend a lot of time on things that are urgent, but not on things that are not urgent yet still important. 
And there's so many ways that we leaders in evangelization, and that's what we need to be. I don't care if you're not the pastor, parochial vicar, if you're not the DRE in charge. If you're a volunteer, you need to be a leader in evangelization. No one has to give you that permission. The church says in the Code of Canon Law that every lay person, every baptized faithful has the right to evangelize. You might remember one of my uh, somewhat controversial pieces of advice that I gave to one of our Swedish listeners was who was complaining about the parish life not being conducive to evangelization. Neat. Who cares? Like the parish life was where you go for the sacraments. Awesome. It doesn't have to be everything. It doesn't have to consume all of our thoughts, all of our time, all of our effort. Yes, it would be wonderful if we built up sustainable communities of evangelization and discipleship, but that doesn't always happen. But that also doesn't mean you're off the hook and I'm off the hook. So what we need to do is be leaders in evangelization. We need to first just make the decision, Lord Jesus, you are worth letting people know about, right? One of the things that uh, in my ministry that comes up often is this topic of hell. Right, so what I want to do is bring a little of my theological nerdiness into this context and, and content around the doctrine of hell and eternal damnation. Now, some people think, how could an all good and loving God ever, 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 ever make room for hell in His universe? Why would there be a hell where God is separated from someone for all eternity? If this God loves, is merciful, you know, God's greatest attribute is His mercy. Why would we have this God that would allow such a thing? burning someone forever in conscious torment, as the, the phrase is often spoken about. In Protestant circles, this is a really big thing, and they call it eternal conscious torment or eternal unconscious torment or temporal torment, and then you're gone. A lot of people opine about hell and try to do away with hell. But let me first put the context of hell in a greater perspective. Number one, when we talk about hell, what are we talking about? We're not just talking about a place where God punishes the wicked. We are talking about what happens to our souls when we wholly give ourselves over to wickedness, right? See, that's the fundamental thing that I think we forget. Over and over again, I hear people say stupid things, and this is a stupid thing from a Catholic perspective, even though I held it for my entire teenage years, which is that guy was lucky. He sinned his whole life and then had a deathbed confession. Guys, that is not luck. What you're basically saying is that guy's so lucky. He lived his whole life without knowing the Lord, right? Like we need to understand that if we have those words and phrases, if those ideas are rooted in our hearts, and honestly, they were in mine, we are at the most basic beginner level of Christianity, because this means that the truth of the gospel and our love relationship with Christ has not changed our hearts yet, that we still desire the things of this world and the pleasures of this world more than we do God, because we're like, yeah, I know, I don't want to go to hell for all eternity, but Hey, you know, some premarital this and a little bit of that and a little cocaine here. Never hurt anyone. What ends up happening? Yeah, now you understand why I need Dave on this show because I go off the rails. But this is what we do. We we romanticize sin because we have a great longing or attachment from it. This is why St. Francis de Sales, in commenting on the soul that still is attached to sin, it is just like those Israelites freed by Moses and by God uh, from the tyranny of Pharaoh. What do they do? They long for the flesh pots of Egypt. You can take the boy out of Egypt, but you can't necessarily take Egypt out of the boy, right? And that's the problem with sin. We have attachments to sin that the Lord wants to purify us of, but it's not enough to know that it's wrong. 
One of the greatest things I ever learned in my, not one of the greatest things, but I'm a man given to hyperbole. A great lesson that Aristotle taught us is to see the moral life. Now, he didn't have the context of original sin, but he did notice its effects. And what he called it is the untutored human nature. Every human being enters into this world with a myriad of desires, temperaments, personality, all that stuff. And they are untutored. They are raw, right? And they need to be harnessed. They need to be aimed correctly. That's why sin in Greek is missing the target. And it's an archery term. They need to be pointed at the proper end. So sin is deviation from that end. So Aristotle would say there comes a time in a vicious man's life, a man who we would say is given wholly over to sin, where he realizes that what I'm doing isn't working for me. And he, let's say, has a conversion experience. He begins to see oh my goodness, this thing that I've called good my whole life is actually evil. It's destroying me. I need to move away from it. But here's the deal. Aristotle would say that that man is is just beginning on the way where he can recognize the good. In our Catholic language, we might say he might know the natural law that commands what ought to be commanded and forbids what ought to be forbidden, namely sin, right? He knows what is good, but he doesn't like it. See, and that's the thing is you can't command your emotions and your passions, but you can, you can absolutely educate them. And this tutoring, this education of our passions and our feelings, our emotions, our, our most basic desires, all of that stuff is what we call the virtuous life. Moral virtue takes all the energies and appetites of the human heart and harnesses them to the virtue of prudence and points them at our supernatural end, which is seeing God face to face. So when we look at sin from this perspective, we see that sin is not just an act of rebellion. It's not just an act of breaking the law, the divine law, the natural law, whatever. It is breaking of ourselves. It is dehumanizing. Sin doesn't make us more human. It makes us less human. It dehumanizes us. Oftentimes when we sin with others, we depersonalize them. We take them from the beautiful good as a human person that they are, and we reduce their personhood all the way down to the level of an object to be used, not a person to be loved. And obviously this is most showcased when we talk about lust, but it's also showcased when we talk about greed, right? How often do we depersonalize humans and make them just objects towards our ends? i.e. chasing that paper, getting paid, making money, right? We do this often. We can do this easily. We can slip into this mode where I objectify other people. So when we talk about hell, why would an all good and loving God allow hell? The answer is a resounding because your freedom has a terrible compliment paid to it, and that is hell. Hell is, as C.S. Lewis says, that terrible compliment that God pays to your freedom. If you choose fundamentally at the core of your being, not God, then God says, fine, your will be done. Hell exists because we make hell. If the devil had never fallen, we human beings would make a hell fit for ourselves. That's what we do every time we sin. The devil cannot drag us to hell. We willingly cooperate with it. As the book of wisdom says that uh, we made a covenant with death. We made a covenant with death. And so what does that mean for us? Well, we have to break the covenant with death. We have to moonwalk out of our allegiance with Satan. We got to be at enmity with the serpent like the woman was 
the Blessed Virgin Mary. And how do we do that? Well, first is humble submission to God's plan, trustful surrender in all things to God's plan. One of the things that we don't do as evangelists often enough is take stock of our own spiritual lives. So often we apostles want to go out and go, 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 that we forget to recollect. It has been years since I have gone on retreat. Yeah, I might do a day of reflection here and there, but to actually just sit in prayer with our Lord for hours and hours, that has been way too long. All right. Thank you all. Um, thanks to Essential Press for helping us out and being so amazing. Uh, head on over to EssentialPress.com, find out more, and of course, listen to that Bible in a Year with Father Mike Schmitz. Bye. 